I want to unpack in depth with you because I think it's where a lot of guys would get most confused. I know I did. It's why I avoided Revelation for most of my life with this issue of, uh, of is my salvation something I can lose? Does, what does it mean to be an overcomer? If I fail to overcome, then is this, are these promises not for me? Because what you'll find at the end of every letter is this statement of uh, uh, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And then he says the same exact phrase uh, in, the, in the original language. It's pretty much the same exact phrase over and over and over again, once to every church. The phrase happens only eight times in the whole Bible. Seven of them are to these churches, and the eighth is in Revelation 21, to the one who overcomes. And then he gives a promise. I'll just lay my cards down right now. When he says to the one who overcomes, there, you are assuming incorrectly that that is contingent on what he says before. In other words, if you fail to repent or if you fail to measure up or if you fail to align with my heart, then this doesn't apply to you. You are inserting that in your, into the text. It's not there. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to submit to you that that statement is, regardless of the prior stuff, here's a fact. To the overcomer, he will inherit. I will give. And it's powerful stuff. So what does it mean to be an overcomer? What is that? If you just try to understand that from these seven letters, you're going to get it wrong. So I want to unpack it for you with a very serious, deep theological question. Are you ready? What does overcoming have to do with Jason Fisher's shoes? Jason, where are you, buddy? Where's he at? He's somewhere in there. He's probably fixing somewhere, something somewhere. Jason had a birthday, and he got birthday Nikes. He's a shoe guy. I have mad respect for shoe guys because they have this thing called taste. I don't have that. Um, and so he knows a thing or two about shoes. So apparently these are like officially cool shoes, Right? Anybody a shoe guy in here? I'm not mocking you. I promise. Okay. All right. Yeah, legit. They have a whole, like, Netflix documentary on shoe guys. It's pretty intense. All right. Anybody willing to admit you're wearing Nikes right now? Hold them up. Stick your foot in the air. Show me your Nikes. All right. I'm out. <laughs> I was like, I don't want to pull my hamstring in the morning. All right. Nikes. You guys know where they got the name Nike? I'll tell you a little story. You ever seen the movie 300? Don't admit it. That's a movie based on a historical fact. It's total bunk, but it's based on a historical fact of the Persians invading Greece, this giant, huge army invading Greece. The reason they were so ticked off and invading Greece by land is because Greece handed their butt to them when they first tried to invade by sea at the Battle of Marathon. Right? So these giant waves of Persians try to invade Greece at the beaches of Marathon, and guess what happens? The Greeks just throw down because they're ballers, and they win. And they send this dude to run 26 point, how many? Two miles, all the way back to Athens to announce that they won. And so he hoofs it in his sandal flip-flops for 26.2 miles, all the way back to Athens. And he gets there, busts through the gates, and he yells, Nike. Nike! Because in Greek, that means victory. Victory. So Nike, the OG Nikes, were sandals. Just saying. Um, so it's not a just do it. It's, it's victory. Nike means victory. And so why do I say that? What does that have to do with this? Because that phrase, he who overcomes, is from that root word in the Greek, Nike. The, the verb is slightly different. Um, and, and so here's the thing. I want to help you understand what, what 
what John, the writer of Revelation, the Apostle John is saying when he says to the one who Nikes, to the one who overcomes. The way you're going to understand that is the way that word is used through the rest of the scripture. So I'm going to ask you to buckle up with me real quick. We're going to do a real fast tour through the New Testament and John's use of the word Nike, overcomer, victory. Okay, because out of the 34 times that term is used in the New Testament in the original language, John's responsible for 25 of them, and the vast majority actually happened in Revelation. And the rest of his, once it happens in his gospel, I'll show you that one, the rest happen in his letter to Christians, 1 John. If you can understand what happens in the gospel in 1 John, you can understand John's thinking when he uses that word to the one who overcomes, and you can avoid some error when you study these letters. You with me? You ready to go on a quick, fast, like ultra-fast tour on John's use of the word Nike? All right, let's go to John chapter 16, verse 33. This is John. If you're new to all this, this is where the apostle John, a man who saw Jesus, touched him, interacted with him, wrote about Jesus' life. And this is something he said that Jesus said. It says this. Jesus said, these things in John 16, 33, these things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take courage. I have Nike'd the world. I have overcome the world. That in the Greek, in the original language, is a past action with eternal results that don't change. That's a fact established that doesn't go away. Jesus said, I have overcome the world. I have Nike'd this bad boy. It's done. And he didn't fall over after running 26.2 miles, which is, by the way, why I'm not going to run a marathon. I don't want to kill myself. Um, so that's the only usage in John's gospel. Jesus saying, I've overcome the world. First John 4.4. 4. Now let's go to his letter to Christians. Which, by the way, if you want to be a Bible nerd, um, a great corollary to Revelation is the letter of 1 John. It's a glossary. It's going to show you how John thinks about the words he's using and the images he's using if you study 1 John as well. 1 John 4, 4, he says this, you are from God, little children. He's talking to believers, Christians. He says, you are from God, little children, and have overcome them. Same idea, past action, eternal results. You have overcome them. It's a fact that if you are a believer, if you are in Jesus, you have overcome because he overcame. And he's in you, right? And, he, and, and on the, here's the basis on which you overcome. You have overcome. Because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. If you are in relationship with Jesus, if you are in Christ, you have overcome because he has overcome. And that's something that doesn't change, doesn't go away. You with me so far? This is how John thinks of the word. 1 John 5, 4 to 5. For whatever is born of God, Nike's the world. And this is the Nike that has Nike'd the world. What is it? Your actions, your deeds, your measuring up, your perfect repentance? You're being in alignment with God's heart perfectly? Is that what he says? No. This is the victory, our faith. And he goes on and qualifies that. Who is the one who overcomes the world? But he who believes what? What specifically are you believing? All things are one. Any way to Christ, or any way to God. No. Very specifically. He says, this is what your faith is in if you're an overcomer. That he who believes that Jesus is the son of God. There is no overcoming unless you are square on this idea that Jesus is God. And there's more. That's, so, but do you have a sense of what he means by overcome? Is he talking about something you have to do right now? Something you can fail to do? 
once you've received Christ, you can fail to overcome and therefore lose it? Is that what he's saying? Not if you understand his use of the term and the way he thinks about Nike. So you take that thinking into Revelation, and, and that's where the next time you see the word overcome in the Bible is going to be Revelation 2 and 3, where we'll see it. But I'm going to skip past those and show you how he's using it in the book of Revelation elsewhere. So go with me to Revelation 12, 11. This is a verse I hope you hear more about in the coming weeks. He says, and they overcame him, the devil. They Nike'd the crap out of this dude. That's the Will Height translation. <laughs> because why, how did they overcome the devil? By being smart enough? Doing enough good things? Is that what he says? No. It's the same story. Because of the blood of the lamb. Now, if you're new to this, I'll, I'll help you explain more of what that means here in a little bit. Because of Jesus' blood covering my sin. That's how they overcame, because he overcame and he's in me. Because by faith I have received him as God and Lord and Savior. That's how they overcame the enemy. That's that established fact, past experience, past fact, eternal result. Because of the word of their testimony, because of the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony, don't get confused, the word of their testimony comes out of the fact that they're covered. They're just testifying about what God has done for them. That's how the enemies overcome. Their faith in Christ and the fact that what comes out of someone who has trusted Christ is testimony. That's the impact, that's the power on the world. And again, don't take these as contingencies like, well, they have to do this in order to be saved. These are results of their faith that they testified and they did not love their life even when faced with death. Now, gentlemen, before you get too comfortable, think about this. The way John, if you want to read 1 John, it'll get you shaking in your boots a little bit if you are what we call a lukewarm Christian. We'll unpack that in a little while, uh, uh, in a couple of weeks. If you've said a prayer and think that means that you're an overcomer, that you've trusted Christ, but your life is completely out of alignment, you have no interest in Jesus, you're just playing a game, you very well may not have overcome. You didn't lose anything because you never had it in the first place. Overcomers, maverick, those are guys that when the metal meets the meat, what's gonna come out of them is an understanding and a recognition that Jesus Christ is greater than anything. He's worth it, worth more than my life. Simmer on that. John leaves us in tension. The tension isn't, can I lose it? The tension is, did I ever have it? And what was it founded on? My effort, my believing enough, my feeling emotionally squared away with God, or the established fact of his death, burial, and resurrection, and what that means for somebody. But overcomers are people who, when the metal meets the meat, are gonna demonstrate that what it means to be connected with Jesus is that there's nothing more valuable than that to the point where their lives are not more important to them than their relationship with Jesus. That is a powerful statement that should give us pause. But again, just to be clear, you didn't lose anything. The question is, am I there? Or was I just playing a religious game? But wait, there's more. Revelation 17, 14. These will wage war against the lamb. The, the, the devil and his minions will wage war against the lamb and the lamb will overcome. He will Nike them because he is Lord of lords, king of kings and those who are with him. This is the key point. The ones who are with that Jesus, 
This is how they're described and identified. And it's not based on their works, their efforts, their being good enough, they're not cussing too much, none of that. Those who are with them are described as people who are called and chosen. That should give us some courage in Christ and who are full of faith. There's that faith idea again. And finally, Revelation 21, 6 to 7, the end of the chapter, or the end of the book of Revelation, the end of the Bible, the culmination. We call it the blessed hope that motivates and drives every Christian who understands this. This is what gives our life its uh, uh, perspective. Revelation 21 and 22. I double dog dare you to take a second and read it at some point, especially in light of these churches. And this is what he says. Revelation 21, 6 to 7. It's a giant invitation over and over and over again. It's not measure up, it's come to me, come to me, come to me. All, he says in John, come to me, all you who are weary, laden, weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. He says that in the Gospels. And he repeats it again at the end of the book of Revelation. Come, come to me. And he says this, I will give to the one who thirsts, the one in need, the one who's inadequate, the one who's not measuring up, the one who can't do it and finally figures that out. The one for whom religious structures don't hold up my heart and I'm failing and I'm, and I'm, I'm out of options and I, I need somebody to help me figure out how to live my life and how to live in light of eternity. That guy, come to The one who thirsts, I will give from the spring of the water of life without cost, free, without condition, without price, without earning. That's, a, that's the last words, in, that's, that's in the last portion of the scripture. It is not a measure up situation, gentlemen. It never has been. And if that's your religious experience, I'm so sorry. But you've been deceived. To overcome is to let go of this idea that you can or should or are able to do anything on your own. To the one who thirsts from the spring of water of life, I will give without cost. Now look, this he who overcomes, that guy, the one who finally stops trying to measure up as though that's gonna earn him favor with God and salvation forever, that's the overcomer. That guy will inherit these things. I will be his God, he will be my son. You follow? So this is where I wanna make it really clear because I do feel like, I, my, my understanding is there's at least a few guys in the room where this might be brand new news for you. You might have, I mean, it's Dallas. This is like the Orlando of churches. There's a, Orlando has a theme park on every corner. Dallas has a church on every corner. I can completely understand if you have been told some things that are not accurate in scripture. So this might be your first time really unpacking that and being confronted with it, and I'm so glad you're here. Let me be very clear. This same guy, John, who wrote the gospel, who wrote his letter to, 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 to Christians and who wrote Revelation by the inspiration of God, the movement of God, this is what he says in 1 John 5, 13. He says, these things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. If you go into this study with this conditional sense that that word overcome only applies if I measure up, you're missing it. You're missing it. The normal assumption of a Christian who reads their Bible and therefore understand, understands God's heart in this respect, the normal assumption is that I, can, I don't need to walk out those doors without a, a, a set belief, a set knowledge, a knowing that I will be with Jesus forever in heaven and 
and between now and then, I can align myself with God's heart, the physics of the way the world are supposed to work. I can love the way he loves. I can enter into community with people who know him. I can, I can discover what the meaning of life is. You don't have to walk out of those doors without that confidence. That's what John's saying here. And you certainly don't need to walk back in after studying, worrying that you're going to somehow lose it. That's not biblical. Another writer in the New Testament said this, a guy named Paul. Maybe you've heard of him in the book of Romans. Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned. What does all mean? Are there exceptions to the word all? Last time I checked, it's a pretty inclusive term. All have sinned and fall short as a result of the glory of God, of connection with him, of being able to be one with, with Christ. We cannot, no matter how good you are, no matter how religious you've been, no matter how few times you've done whatever you think is wrong, bro, you are broken. Any self, anyone really willing to look me in the eye and say I am not on some level fundamentally self-focused? If that's you, you're deceived. But I have a feeling no one in here would be man enough to try to lie to me that way. You are fundamentally the physics of how you work are in contrast to the physics of the universe that God created in his own heart. You can't bring those two things together. How do you get rid of cancer, gentlemen? Do you tell a cancer cell, it's okay, you're not that bad? Not if you want to get rid of cancer. And so God is just, he has to get rid of sin. He has to get rid of you and me. He has to destroy that in order to make all things new. Revelation 21. It has to go away. That's not a hate move. That's a love move. You don't fit the physics of the universe God created in his heart. You don't fit in relationship with him when you are self-focused and self-driven. You are hopeless. That's not a mean thing to say. It's a merciful thing to say. So God has to kill your sin. He has to get rid of you at some point. Justice has to be served. That's love. That's justice. And you know what love really looks like as a result of that? Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death is what I'm saying. But the free gift of God is eternal life. And that's where John, let's go back to my buddy John, John 3, 16, that's where he comes in. That verse you saw at a football game and, and ignored is critical. God so loved the world that he's just enough to get rid of sin, yes. But he so loved you, he didn't wanna lose you. So he stood in your place. He became sin in your place. That's what Jesus was about. He's not just a teacher, gents. He's God in flesh, come to take your place, lives a perfect life, doesn't deserve death, doesn't deserve hell. And somehow in a cosmic way, I don't understand, on the cross, that wasn't just a physical death, bro. Book of Isaiah says he became our sin in our place and, and took the wrath, the destruction, the elimination that you deserve because of your twisted self-focus. However it plays out in its socially acceptable ways or the ones you've been hiding your whole life trying to take a secret to the grave. He became that in your place, took the wrath and the destruction for you and being God was victorious and rose again. God so loved you, put your name in there, that he gave his only son so that you can have life. 
on the basis of faith. You want to overcome, you just get that figured out. You submit, you bend the knee to that fact. There is a God. You're broken and do not get to be next to him. It doesn't work. But that God loved you so much, he took your place, he took your sin, he, cr he was crushed for you in your place, and now he's offering you, come on in, come, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest, rest for your soul. That's real. That's his offer to you. That's what you should see every time you read to the one who overcomes in Revelation two and three. That person. I don't know if that's you, Look at me, if, if you've trusted Christ, if you've heard the gospel as I just presented it, believed it, then that's you. Romans 10, 9. The one who, who uh, confesses with his mouth Jesus is Lord, believes in his heart that he rose from the dead, will be saved. Nike. So look, there's not one reason you should walk out those doors uncertain. You got a table leader who can talk with you about that and help you get there if you're at all confused. Who can answer your questions? Shoot, track me down. Make my day, seriously. But please don't walk out those doors unsure. If you do, come back and sit with us in the scripture. Let God speak to you.